And we're back with another episode of Awareness to Action Enneagram Podcast. My name is Creek, and I'm with two of uh, my. I'm with. I'm with my <laughs> invisible, can, cantankerous, <laughs> cantankerous, invisible co-hosts, um, <laughs> Mario Sicora and Maria Jose Munita. And we've been having some ta- technical difficulties today. We don't know what's going on, but we are here. We're going to soldier and on. And we're soldiering on, as they say. We've been talking about the obstacles to critical thinking, and now we want to talk about the solutions, some of the solutions of how to begin to think critically. So we're going to start with falsification. Mario, what is falsification? Uh, falsification is the attempt to find errors in our explanations about the world. Right, so falsification is one of the fundamental. Uh, in, in fact, it's the cornerstone of not only how science is done, but how all thinking should be done. Meaning that uh, the the way that any theory of knowledge grows is that we conjecture, we come up with a hypothesis, we become we come up with an explanation for something, but then we don't just seek to confirm it; we actually seek to find the errors in our assumptions i.e. falsify, so that we come up with stronger explanations of things. The problem is, it's human nature, as we've been talking about in these last few episodes, it's human nature to find confirming evidence of what we want to believe. And it goes against human nature to look for the uh, errors in our theories. So we have to force ourselves to do it through the process of falsification. How does that apply to the Enneagram when it comes to type? Yeah, so, so there's a, a number of ways uh, that this applies. Uh, one of them is assessing someone else's type or our own type. Another one is related to Enneagram theory, uh, assumptions we make about particular types. And it also applies to Enneagram history. Uh, but we'll start with the, um, uh, how it applies to type first. Okay. If we believe that we're a particular type and we only look for evidence of it, then we go on believing that, whether it's true or not. If, however, we start to think we're a particular type, but we attempt to falsify that theory, such as finding evidence of why we're not that way. So, for example, say I believe that I am an eight, and we say that eights are striving to feel powerful. Well, it's easy to look for in anybody for evidence of instances of striving to feel powerful. But we can start asking ourselves the question, is that really what I do? Is that really how I show up? Right? Is that the source of my biggest problems? Or is there something else? Say I'm actually a two and my issues are related to striving to feel connected. Is there evidence that shows me that my problems around connection are bigger than this need to feel powerful? Okay, so these are all ways in which we can falsify a hypothesis about our own type. Would you say that it's more important to be skilled in falsification than it is to be able to identify which bias uh, you could be falling under? understand or to assess how much you need to apply to do the falsification to falsify try to falsify things if you don't understand all our biases so i think both help now probably if we had to choose one it would be falsification but you need to truly 
understand that we don't think well. I mean, we don't see things clearly first. Otherwise, just easy to disregard the need for it. It does seem like if you start with falsification, you'll eventually get to the biases. Yeah, so so the attitude and the act of advancing knowledge is rooted in falsification. Okay, meaning that we think of some intellectual problem or some real-world problem, we come up with an explanation for it, an, uh, a solution of some sort in an explanation, and then we start to look for weaknesses in that explanation so the explanation can become stronger. Okay, Now, we will not see all the mistakes we are making if we don't understand the cognitive biases. If we don't understand the fundamentals of science, if we don't understand logical fallacies, okay? So all of these things are the tools that make us better at eliminating errors in our assumptions about things so that we can grow in our knowledge and understanding. So th this applies to all of the work that we're trying to do um, when we interact with other people. So it's a huge part of typing, as we've talked about quite a few times over the last few episodes. But it also has a lot to do with Enneagram theory. If we start to come up with ideas about the Enneagram, for example, um, you know, characteristics of the different types, and we can start to say, you know, one of the ones we always joke about is eights not reading, right? Because somebody came up to me at a conference and said that eights don't read. Well, I read a lot, and uh, you know, so and there are lots of eights who read a lot, and there are Too people much. of other types who don't. Well, yeah, there you go. Um, but there are people who, you know, the people who don't read at all. I've met fives who don't really read that much, whereas the stereotypes, the assumptions, are rooted in these, you know, biases that we talked about before: confirmation biases, availability bias, etc. And nobody takes the time to question: Is this really true? And so, what ends up happening is that people start to make claims about the enneagram that they really can't justify. They make claims about different Enneagram types that people start to scratch their head and say, well, wait a minute, I could have sworn my sister was a four, but she doesn't do that, okay? So what's going on here? Is she not really a four? Or is this whole Enneagram thing just a bunch of BS anyway, right? So the thing that falsification does is it allows us to be rigorous and cautious and responsible about the claims we make regarding the Enneagram types, regarding, for example, how people become their types, right? There's lots of theories on, well, you know, people become a five because this happened to them in their childhood or they have this object relations pattern, et cetera, et cetera. Well, those are not things that are falsifiable. So there's just no evidence for them. And we just sound silly when we make claims that are not falsifiable and have no real justification. Is falsification typically geared towards the past or can it be applied towards the future? I mean, it can help us with predictions and predictions are one way of falsifying, right? We can start to look at, uh, okay, well, I make a claim and I predict that if I do X, then Y will happen tomorrow. But if Y doesn't happen tomorrow, I have therefore falsified my theory. 
It has a lot to do about claims we make regarding the past. And this is one of my big bugaboos lately about, um, you know, what's happening in the Enneagram world with claims being made about the history of the Enneagram, that some of which are non-falsifiable, but others of which are easily falsifiable. But nobody bothers to do it because it's no fun to falsify things we want to believe. Why is that not fun? Because it's cool and awesome to think that the Enneagram is an ancient spiritual tradition and we're in the know about something mystical and magical. Okay. That's specific to the Enneagram. What about like in general? Why is it in general not fun to falsify? Well, you know, who likes that person at the party who brings out science and evidence and logic Whenever somebody says something silly and uh, or stupid or you know etc. Okay, so the well actually guy. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. You, you know, in, in the latest issue of JAMA, it says you know blah blah blah. Well, you know, nobody wants to be that person. Look, most people want to go through life not thinking that hard. Okay, they just want comforting beliefs that make life easy for them. And when somebody comes along and starts taking away some of those comforting beliefs, uh, why, why do we want to do that? And the other thing about falsification is that every time we falsify something, we create new problems that need to be solved. If this is not the explanation, then what? Okay. So falsification is, is not for those who want to rest in their ideas. It's for people who are intellectually curious and hungry to keep digging and keep digging and keep digging. It brings more uncertainty and discomfort. Yes. And you need to be willing to go through that. And it's a lot easier, and I understand it, to just hold on to the beliefs that make me feel well. But they're not always right. And it has consequences. And I think that's a problem. If there were no consequences, it wouldn't matter. Just why bother? But there are consequences to holding on to beliefs that are not true or accurate. And, and it's important to point out that this is how every serious intellectual realm works, right? This is how businesses work. This is how academia works. This is how science works when it's being done the right way is that you look for ideas and then you try to rip them apart because ripping them apart advances knowledge and it protects us from nonsense. Okay, So one of the challenges is when we are resisting this, when we're holding on to ideas that are comfortable for us and not taking the risk to try and uh, falsify them, then, then we're just not being serious people. I think even you can add to that list good religion, religion that takes itself seriously. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and I wasn't just talking about religion. I mean, I wasn't necessarily talking about religion there because, I look, I've got a lot of respect for a lot of religious traditions, but they're the ones who continue to grapple with their dogma in the light of new circumstances, right? As society changes and we start asking ourselves, what does it mean to be a Christian or a Muslim or a Jew or a Buddhist or whatever in today's environment? 
Those are serious people asking serious questions, and I have no issue with that. It's when people are sticking their fingers in their ears and making na 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 noises and ignoring things that ruin their good story that they've been selling in workshops. Those are the people that I just don't have much respect for. Uh, anything else? <laughs> yeah, I think that is there anyone left? Is there anyone left standing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that we are wired to fool ourselves. And I think that by saying that people do that, it's not always a deliberate action. I think that what you would expect yes. is that yes. you fool yourself, that you believe what you think, and that you have a hard time seeing the evidence that this confirms it. However, it is important to understand that that's how we're wired and that we need to actively try to falsify our beliefs. Otherwise, we will not see clearly. This is perhaps a whole other episode, but but it, it strikes me that, especially in this day and age, we can talk about falsification till we're blue in the face, but falsification requires some level of trust in someone else that they know what they're talking about, right? You can find you can find something to falsify everything, but then you have to figure out is the thing that's falsifying your original hypothesis worth any sort of value or is it is it true? Sure. This is the this is the nature of the pursuit of knowledge that we have to not only challenge our own assumptions, but we have to question our sources. Right? We can't just assume that, oh, here's this piece of data on the internet that falsifies something you know, that I want falsified, so I'm going to use it. This is an iterative process. This is something that's always going on and always going on and always going on, including our own tests. Uh, for example, there was the, the Large Hadron Collider uh, a few years ago. They did some test that seemed to indicate that some particles could travel faster than the speed of light. Now that has always been assumed to be the barrier for speed, right? The speed of light. And so they did this test and they say, hey, wait a minute, this thing traveled faster than the speed of light. What's going on here? Have we, you know, falsified this fundamental of science? And then they ran more tests and more tests and they realized that a cable was plugged in incorrectly. So if they had just test, you know, trusted the machine, then they would have said, oh, we've overturned, you know, a core concept of physics. But no, you, you've got to always, always, always be questioning. Yeah, and, and I think what you said, Craig, about at the end of the day, having to trust someone, it's like, where do we stop? And I think that at some point, if we have done our homework, we can say that this is our current hypothesis and not question everything all the time. However, I think that if we have that mindset, because it's a mindset, we will be those one of those people who people trust, who people can trust. When we're working with clients or with people, or I think that showing that we have challenged our assumptions, that we have questioned our beliefs, gives people confidence that they can trust what we're saying. And we can always tell them to just try to prove it or disprove it themselves. But I think that it creates trust 
to have that mindset of questioning things. So in other words, dear listener, you can trust us. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. (laughs) And And thus the cult was born. Yes, with five listeners. We... Um, yeah, we changed our minds, and I'm proud of saying that. It got me a bit irritated in the past when Mario did, but now I see it as an asset that I'm proud of, that I'm able to change my mind about things. It's the cult of mind changing. I mean, um, <laughs> changing your mind. Um. <laughs> it's- it's the cult of, what are you looking at me for? <laughs> go, go read a book. Read you know. a book. <laughs> uh, well, you heard him, listener. Go read a book, and we'll talk to you next week. So long. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. If you're interested in more information or talking to Mario, MJ, or myself, feel free to reach out to us through the links in the show notes or by emailing info at awarenesstoaction.com. All episode transcriptions and further information can be found at awarenesstoaction.com slash podcast. <laughs>